0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash B-E. So you've all heard the term emotional intelligence by now. It's one of the hottest topics in leadership, learning, business. But what's it all about? And more importantly, what should we be considering when it comes to learning facilitation, presentation, etc. Well, today we're joined by Tony Skinner, a learning and development expert who's thinking exactly that. He shares his best practices and thoughts around emotional intelligence for learning. It's a super groovy time. And by the end, you'll be in the know as well. Let's get started.
1: They are the fabulous learning nerds. Cause if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun The best ideas that you've ever heard So everybody
2: spread the word They're gonna keep you with turning The Fabulous Learning Nerds Fabulous Learning
0: Hey folks, we're back for another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm your host, Scott Chudy. And with us, as always, you love him from a new undisclosed location, Dan Coonrod. Dan the
2: man.
3: Hey, Scott. Dan. How you doing?
0: I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Fair
3: to Midland, leaning more on the fair side than the Midland side. Fair to Midland. Thanks, Scott.
0: A little slow on the drop. i oh, was slow on the drop. I'm sorry. Why well, are you just fair on the Midland?
3: <laughs> no, fair is good. Fair is good. Uh, uh, as you said, I'm in an undisclosed location. Uh, picked up and uh, moved my my life and my family. Had a fabulous opportunity open up, so I'm exploring that. And I'm in the middle of it right now. It's awesome.
0: Well, I couldn't be more happy and jealous of you at the same time, sir. <laughs> uh, but you've certainly earned it. That is a true statement, and that's great. Um, also with us tonight, folksy lover, the uh, Duchess of Design, Abby Dawson. Abby. Hey there. How's it going?
2: Pretty good. Pretty good.
0: So what's going on?
2: You know, all the normal stuff. Uh, My dad said he was doing Fair to Midland when I asked uh, the other day how he was doing. So I think it's like in the zeitgeist again, thanks to our buddy Dan Kinrod.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, I think it's all about the fantastic drop that he probably heard. You know, I mean, it is can't it, hurt. No,
3: it doesn't.
0: Is Dan? Is that your new ringtone? It should totally be your new ringtone, man.
3: Oh, we Scott, should
0: sell that. Should as, we could tone. make a lot of money. We could like sell that drop as a ringtone for people and make some money. We could finally monetize our podcast. I don't know.
3: buying a fair <laughs> to Midland ringtone, but if you're interested, you would. I oh, know. Yeah, oh yeah, of course I would.
0: And you would. <laughs> it's only five hundred dollars for you, sir. Man,
3: that's like a steal. That's amazing. I got some property to talk to you
0: about. I got some Bitcoin I want to sell you as well. Hey, folks, um, we've got a special guest with us tonight. We're going to go ahead and end the chit chat and get right to business. Our good friend, Tony Skinner, is in the house. And uh, we're going to get to know Tony with a little segment that we call, What's Your Deal? Hey, man, what's your deal?
1: Tony, what's up? What's your deal, man? Uh well for six payments of nineteen ninety five, I don't know what I'm selling, but
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the part of the show where you get
0: to talk about yourself. Um, normally we don't have you sell anything, oh, okay. so uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Tony. What you're doing? What you're <laughs> up to? What's your deal, man? Definitely.
1: Uh, well, right now during the day, I write instructional design content that's focused on sales. Um, that's been fun. We've taken kind of a human approach to learning, uh, at night or on the weekends. I do a lot of traveling. I work doing life coaching, working with people, um, a couple other projects in the works, but can't quite talk about them yet. But yeah, I guess that's kind of my deal right now. Cool. What got you into uh, ID, sir? Uh, long training hours that I was over. (laughs) help me understand like what what does that mean (laughs) yeah so uh i I was sick of having to train changing schedules nights to days shifting weekends i couldn't have a life and id offered me something that was more stable so you know monday through friday nine to five most of the time and you could have a life and build something outside of it and then the influence piece too instead of working with 20 humans every six weeks you can now, I mean, now I write training that goes to 10,000 people, so a little bit different influence.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you went from a facilitation role into a design role like a lot of people do. Okay, fantastic. That's great. And um, we've got some really, really, really cool things that we're going to be chatting about um, with Tony. So let's go ahead and get into it with our topic of the week.
1: Tony, what's our topic of the week, sir? So we're going to be talking about emotional intelligence and why I think it's probably the single most important skill for somebody who's in learning and development. Well, it certainly
0: is a hot topic today post, well, I can't even say post-pandemic because we're still kind of in the midst of all of it. But I really feel like EQ has become a hot topic around around leadership circles. Um, it certainly is something that um, I'm pretty passionate about, so I'm super excited to have you chatting about your um, point of view when it comes to, to EQ. So why don't you go ahead and, and kick us off, sir? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, how I look, humans are fascinating to me, right? And so I think the thing that makes us human or separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom is that ability for emotional intelligence. Some people might call it your soul, whatever, but if you take that away, we're just computers. We're just logic boxes. Um, And I think it's an interesting thing to think about when you think about people who are trying to teach other humans how to do a specific set of skills or behaviors or something. And if you don't calculate in that emotional intelligence, um, you're just transferring code. But every human has a different set of experiences, cultural influences, beliefs, traumas, all of that is a different set of obstacles that that code has to get through before that learning or whatever objective you're trying to get to your audience can happen. And I think if we're not aware of that and try to tailor that to our individuals, we miss out on a lot of that percentage of what your audience is going to retain.
3: Can you, can can you dive in a little bit more, talk a little bit more about like just how like emotional intelligence is going to help with retention?
1: Yeah. Um, so, what angle do I want to take this? So I guess think about the experience, right? Uh, it's it kind of probably boils down to experience and safety. If someone feels safe, they're going to open up and receive what you have to give to them. And if you recognize, um, it's easier for a facilitator to do than you know someone who's writing instructional design content because you're there in a room or you're over a Zoom call and you can kind of watch body language and you can watch people's stuff and you'll be able to connect and see their emotions, their physiology and be able to pivot. And, you know, you'll see those looks on someone's faces and go, yeah, I don't know if I know this. Hey, what's your question? What do you see there? Um, all of those things, I think kind of tie into that emotional intelligence package and allow you to kind of dive through some of those barriers or hesitations that people have to be able to transfer that learning. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question?
3: Yeah.
0: Wow, look at Tony demonstrating proper facilitation skills. Uh, That was really awesome. I really want to thank you for that. (laughs) That that was great. No, seriously, I can't tell you how many facilitators um, don't feel questions in the right way, so I really like how you did that. Can we back up just a minute? Um, in, in In your own words, how could you define this idea of emotional intelligence and you know, how we apply it in
1: instructional design, emotional intelligence, I guess, from my perspective is the part of your, your mind, your being, whatever you want to call it, that perceives all things. That's kind of like non-logical and non-physical. So that obviously ties into like your emotions, your feelings. But uh, I think encapsulated into that would be, you know, some people might call it like that sixth sense or your knowing or probably what's just your subconscious putting things together that your conscious brain can't capture. Um, and how we put that in instructional design to me, I think that's been the challenge over the past couple of years because you're not there in the room with people you're at your desk alone, writing content that you're hoping connects with your experts. So, um, how, how I've solved for that personally is spending a lot of time with the audience doing feedback sessions so I can get a good understanding of collectively where that population is at and kind of a headspace and experience space. So that way, the training you're writing is speaking directly to that greater group. And I mean, you can't hit every individual, of course, when you're writing content. But um, I think for me, that's how I would define emotional intelligence and how it applies to ID. So Tony, I've
2: got a question for you. And I love that you say you do these feedback sessions. Um, I think they're crucial. I've worked in marketing groups and training groups. And one of the things I've always thought marketing did a lot better than training was understanding their audience. Like they'll invest in it. They'll do studies. Um, I've seen that training kind of takes for granted. Like we're close to them. We just know. Um, And I think there's so much more opportunity in a lot of training groups to get to know an audience. When you're doing those feedback sessions, what are you looking for? Um, how do you bring back to the team who these people are? Um, what, How would you create a picture um, of who your audience is?
1: We, we usually go in with a set of questions based around a problem we're trying to solve or, you know, an issue that we're seeing. And so we try to deep dive that specific information set. But beyond that, a lot of it is just kind of ebb and flow in the moment. It's... People will open up to you and tell you how they really feel or who they really are if you can create that safety for them. So, some of the things we've done is made sure that, you know, their direct managers are off those feedback sessions because a lot of times people don't feel safe. My boss is right here. I'm going to get in trouble if I say something's sideways. Don't worry about any of that. And you need to set expectations up front to say, because it is different than marketing. Like you said, marketing, most of these people are just, random strangers who are getting paid to give their opinion so it's easy to be free and say whatever you want so i think that training should be treated like marketing because yes a lot of times we do have captive audiences that were paid that are paid to listen to whatever you have to say but if you can treat them like people who have the opportunity to say no and really get their buy in and investment you'll be able to create a good experience and then much better learning and behaviors. On. Yeah,
2: I love that because they will say no. <laughs> they will.
0: <laughs> talk to me about, or talk to us about this idea of buy-in through EQ, right? So I'm going to come into a learning, I have my own predispositions. I've, at the end of the day, we got to create a what's in it for me moment or a hook moment up front. Like what are some of the things that, that you do specifically um, that our audience can go ahead and, and uh, pick up and,
1: and try on their own. Sure. Well, I know for us, um, uh, what I've been focused on the past year and a half is we've been rolling out sales in our business. And a lot of the population was doing just kind of a customer service role and did not want to do sales. You know, as, as, as business evolves, things change. And so one thing that we've done that's worked really well is you put out your initial sales training, you go through it, and then we have a second follow-up training. And this we found was really key. was in the beginning of that follow-up training, hey, how'd it go trying to sell this last week? Letting people kind of express their emotions and frustrations. What went wrong? Like just calling it out right in the beginning. Um, We know things aren't perfect and allowing them to know that you know things aren't perfect allows them to relax a little bit and then believe you're on the same page to build a solution together. So that's one of the big key things that we've found to create safety and create an experience where people are a lot bought in on that buy-in or whiff a moment. Tony, you mentioned having
3: that that conversation, like letting people almost like air their grievances. How do you switch that conversation to prevent it from just becoming like a complaint show or just like have people like a lot of times people will get that opportunity to express their negativity and they'll just keep rolling with it. What's happening in your guys' training? What's What are you guys instructing your facilitators to do to stop that?
1: I think it's a combination of two things. One, I think it's setting the proper expectations up front that we're not just going to complain and not getting anything done. Um, and also setting the expectation saying that we're here to create solutions. So we can't fix something if we don't know about it. And then the other half of it is making sure that whoever the facilitator is, is staying in control of the conversation. You have to obviously give enough space for them to air those grievances, but starting to ask them not, Hey, what's wrong, but what would you like to see to improve it? How do you fix it? And just, you just reorient the conversation so that it doesn't just turn into a a grousing session. It's delicate, but that's what it takes.
0: Now that begs a, a really good question. So, how confident are you that those people who are going to present what you have, let's say it's an ILT, right? So, in the space of instructional led, instructor led design or instructor led training, excuse me, you know, how confident are you that those people have what it takes to pick up, read, and facilitate that safe space? How are we um, preparing and equipping our facilitators to create the
1: environment that's going to lead to the results that we want scott i love that question um because i feel like with a lot of my a lot of my team there's a lot of differing opinions on that um you know from all ends of the spectrum to facilitators should be reading every word in the notes of the powerpoint to nah they'll figure it out the essence of it is there um and so I think for me, where I land on that spectrum is since I was a trainer previously, I trust that trainers are good and know how to do their job. And if they don't, they can ask questions. And so a lot of what I do to prepare these trainers to make sure that they can execute on these types of conversations is when we do the, the T3 or the train the trainer session is here's the content. I don't need to teach you how to train the content, you know. But when you get to these, some of, some of these like crucial moments of, Here's how we have the conversation. Here's the intent of the conversation. Here's the messaging, and here's what you should do and handle. Those are the places that I pause and really dig in and make sure that they understand. Because in my perspective, those are the couple of slides that make or break the whole training experience.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. So, are you, how often are you doing page turns, or we mm-hmm. used to call them page turns for your train to trainer sessions? Is it every
1: presentation that you develop, or is it just um, the big ones? Uh, It depends. Nothing's, nothing's consistent in sales world. Um, If it's, if it's something new that they don't know, we'll do one of those sessions. Um, If they have big questions or if there's big, you know, EQ moments like we're talking about today, we'll definitely do it. But other times there might just be an, an update and we'll have a product switching from lines of business. And these trainers have trained this product a thousand times. And the only thing that's different might be a little bit of the enrollment flow. In those cases, hey, if you guys have any questions, we'll jump on. But otherwise, let me respect your time.
2: So, Tony, once you get a training out, um, it's run for a little bit. How would, if I'm looking at it to say how successful is this training, if I identify something's not working, how would I go about trying to figure out is this a content issue or um, a systems issue or am I am I hitting, missing the mark on an EQ opportunity How would I go back and look at that? Uh, What are some tools you would use?
1: I think a couple of things we have used and a couple of things I would like to use to answer that would be you'd have to watch either a recording of the presentation or sit in on some of the presentation because a lot of those EQ moments are moments you have to observe to see if they were handled properly. The other way to test that is, and it's not perfect, but it at least gives you some sort of information is data on the back end. You can send out like a survey to the audience and that's going to be more, not what did you learn, but how did you feel about the experience? And you can kind of get some information there. So those would be kind of the two places I would check to see if it's successful or not.
2: Yeah. I don't think we ask enough of those. How did you feel about the training questions? That's a good point.
0: Well, they make for good um, ROE, uh, return on expectations, kinds of moments, right? So here was our expectation for the learning, and did we hit that? So I think that you're right. I'm like that post-learning survey on what you learn and how was it. I those are really crucial, and if you skip that part, you're really missing out on an opportunity to
3: get better, which I think is crucial for you know growth moving forward. We've talked a lot about like eq at the facilitator level and you did touch a little bit on just putting that eq or or human touch in the content but can you talk a little bit more about what that's like you talked about like building i guess like a discussion but can you talk about other things that go into your your building process when you're thinking how do i make this content be more emotionally intelligent
1: definitely so i think A couple of things that go into my thought process is it's about the experience Um, instead of thinking about how do i transfer this knowledge or how do i make these people understand things it's what's the experience they're going to go through and if the experience is pleasant or high vibe for the audience they're going to be more relaxed and then whatever information is littered throughout that experience they're going to more easily ingest so I focus more on the experience when I'm creating stuff. Um, some of those things that we've solved for in, you know, pandemic times has been, you know, you don't have someone in the room. How do we have these emotionally intelligent conversations at scale? So something we've done is we've rolled out a, a short video series where, um, I'll write a script and talk through it on a teleprompter, but I write it in a human voice, like I'm just having a conversation. Little two-minute, three-minute videos that we send out to all of our frontline population so that way they still feel like they're getting that in-person touch of, I'm having a conversation with somebody. Sure, it's not a two-way conversation, but um, weird challenges get weird solutions. That answers your question
3: again. Of- yes, that answers it. And I also love that phrase: "Weird challenges get weird solutions." <laughs>
2: I feel like that should. Go I know. On a I feel
3: like that's just a like a general like way of describing my life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we've had so many conversations with so many guests, and just when we've talked about like that human element, that human voice, conversational. Dan, how many times have you said, like, you tell your designers, don't write like a designer, write like a person? It's,
3: it's, it's key. Um, I think a lot of times, especially even when I was like a a beginning instructional designer, this idea that I had to write from like a place of knowledge, a place like from an ivory tower was like something that I thought like, oh, this is how learning sounds. And that's because so many people before me, that's how they had written learning. And so I just assumed but the more I got away from that, the more I just started focusing on like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Like this is for people. This isn't for computers. This isn't for a professor to grade. This is this is for people to take. The further I, I wanted to get away from that academic voice. So I don't know if that's the same thing for you, Tony.
1: Yeah, it's the same thing. Um in in different Outside of the corporate world, anytime I would experience people trying to learn, a lot of times I I got frustrated watching them, I don't know, talk with such big words and intelligently impress their audience or at least attempt to. And I'm like, man, I know you think you look cool and sound cool, but nobody's learning a thing. So just talk like humans talk and people will understand you better and probably respect you more for it.
2: Tony, do you think you would have been down this road or maybe, maybe that you would have never gone down this road, but how important do you think it was that you spent time facilitating in a classroom for you to understand the value when you moved into ID?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think the only reason I ended up in training was because when I went through training, I impressed the trainers. And so someone was like, Hey, we have an open role. You should apply. And then I turned out to be pretty okay at training. And then I was getting a little frustrated with the hours like we had mentioned. And then someone tapped me, hey, you should come to ID. Like, I never expected to go down this journey that I've been on. But looking backwards, I think it's absolutely critical to be at the level of instructional design that I am, that I have facilitation experience. Because it's hard to create an experience that you've not really been in. Um, and I see that on with some of my coworkers who don't have that facilitation experience. It's a it's a challenge that they have to overcome.
2: Yeah, I think some of the best designers I've ever worked with started as facilitators, not all. I think it, I've, I've worked with some great designers who don't come from that background, um, but they did do a lot of work trying to educate themselves on what an experience would be for an audience. But yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for somebody who can look at a slide and go, what are they supposed to get from this? Like, what would they say if I was in a room with them they looked at this slide, what would the conversation be? Uh, That's so difficult to understand and replicate.
0: Tony, talk to us a little bit about, okay, I am a designer or I'm a facilitator and I know that this is important and I want to get better, right? So we, uh, let's just be honest, the studies are out there. Um, EQ is becoming way more important than even IQ. Right? So our intelligence isn't as important as our ability to connect with with other people. So, how do I get better? or
1: how do I raise my eQ? That is a great question. Um, I think the journey for that starts with yourself, right? If you don't know yourself or have good self-awareness, you can't accurately um, or elegantly relate to anybody else. And I think that's probably why a lot of people don't have high emotional intelligence, because sometimes getting to know yourself can be pretty scary. And then, you know, our fast paced culture, we have all sorts of things like Netflix and Hulu and Instagram and whatever to constantly keep your brain distracted and entertained so that you never have to sit with your own thoughts or sit with yourself and get to know who you are. Um, It can be daunting, but I think that's the path is to really get to know yourself. Great. How do I do that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
0: i want to get to know me better that's really scary right how do i how do i do that i mean
1: how do that, that's great get to know yourself better but okay how how do i do that yeah so i mean everyone's a little bit different uh but there's there's a thousand different things you can do like simple things like um stuff that's helped me is meditation uh, and and even in even in that realm of meditation there's a thousand ways you can do it, it doesn't have to just be Sitting cross-legged sometimes that's going for a walk and leaving your phone in the car while you do it to actually be present there with your own thoughts and feelings and emotions and um, not run away if you have a scary thought that comes up or whatever. Um, sometimes that's a little too challenging for people, and so sometimes you need a someone to help with that so I mean there's all sorts of different you know life coaches or You know, if you want to go the more direct therapy route, there's people out there who can help you navigate that journey to learn who you are and that foster that ability to connect with others as well.
2: What do you think about, like, I would have said 10 years ago, if you asked me people with high emotional intelligence, they would have seemed to me like the touchy feely, let's hug it out. I want to hear about your day. Like they're very... Over the top, like that's what I thought emotional intelligence was. And as I've gotten older, one of the benefits of aging, I guess, is my emotional intelligence has grown. I don't know if I'm in a great place, but I'm in a better place. But part of it was realizing I am not a touchy feely person, I am probably not going to want to hug people. Um, I don't necessarily always want to share a lot about myself, but I am better at recognizing when someone I'm talking to is upset, or they're not agreeing with me, or they're confused, or maybe they're really picking up on something and they're excited about it. Um, so I've gotten better. How would you, if you're interviewing folks for a new role, what are things you look for that help you understand this person probably does have an I- high EQ and it's not like they walked in the room and wanted to hug me or they smile a lot, like all of those cheesy things that we normally associate with that that quality.
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's how people respond to subtle things. So it's not just a, a logic, you know, uh, hyper vigilance aware of all the details. But if, if you catch little things or shifts in tone that people say, to me, that's the things that I will recognize that someone can demonstrate to me, oh, you caught that. You obviously have a high emotional intelligence. Um, As far as like specific interview questions or anything like that, that's not something I've spent a lot of time doing as far as interviewing people. Um, So I don't have any specific questions off the top of my head or direct things I'd look for other than just those subtle cues.
0: Really interesting. Um, I had the opportunity and pleasure to be uh, a delegate for the um, chief learning officer event. That was held virtually this last week. Really fantastic event. Shout out to those guys. Great, great job. One of the things that we all came to the conclusion about in almost every discussion that I had the pleasure to be a part was this idea of vulnerability, right? And so, one of the things that I think is really important, whether I'm a touchy feely person or not, is that I just really feel like being vulnerable in a leadership and design position, I think, is really important. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're paid to be a shrink or a life coach or anything like that. But you need to be open to this idea of allowing a space for people to be people and to be vulnerable and allow whatever that happens. Because the strength and the, the ROE that comes from vulnerability and leadership is just critical.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. When you have somebody who cr- is vulnerable with, a, with you or your team, it allows you to trust them and, okay, yeah, I'll jump off a cliff. Uh, you say this needs to be done. I trust you because you've created that trust and safety. And I think too many leaders get caught in being afraid of being vulnerable, that their team will use it against them. But on the other side of that coin is you can actually lead your team into places you never could without it.
3: Hundred percent agree. And that ability for a leader to be like to admit mistakes, to be vulnerable, to be real with their team, to step out of just being a leader and being part of the team, I think is something that's that's vital. And to Tony, to your point, like it's it's a sign of I think of high emotional intelligence. Somebody can just be like, All right, I don't need to just be a leader. I can be a leader. I can be part of the team. I can wear different hats and still motivate and move people.
0: You know, that brings up a really great question. So we talked a little bit about vulnerability and leadership and everybody like, oh, 100%, that's great, right? And there's someone that's going to disagree with us. So let, let's take a step back for just a moment and then let's apply it to design, right? How do we purposely create moments for vulnerability and safe? spaces within our learnings. How do you do that? Or what are some things you've done in the past, Tony, that have been really, really helpful in that area?
1: Yeah, I think it's some of the stuff we've discussed already. It's those moments where you say, hey, I know things are going a little sideways right now, or I know this change we're asking you to do is bigger than you expected or outside of your wheelhouse. Tell me about those challenges and when you can create intentional moments of safe space, whether it's built into the training or if you're a facilitator and you recognize in your audience that something's happening unexpectedly pausing and you know honoring those moments and having that vulnerability um, I, I know when I used to train classes there'd always be a moment at some point in the two or three weeks of the facilitation point where someone would recognize, man, some point of this is a little bit of BS. You're right. Let's pause and talk about it. At the end of the day, we are here to do a job. We got to do it. And if you can be vulnerable about that and be honest about it, instead of trying to dance around the conversation or feel threatened by a simple conversation of, yeah, we're here to do a job. We're here to move the needle from A to B. It gets the buy-in of people and they trust you more, and will be willing to do those tasks you need them to do.
2: Tony, so you're working with sales. I love that. I have a special place in my heart for creating training for sales. Um, my biggest challenge when I've tried to build those pieces into trainings is not with my designers, is not with the audience, but the sales team explaining to them the value of putting those pieces in. Have you faced those challenges? And and when you have, if you have, how did you? Explain to them why it's so important.
1: Sure, I think um, I think it's a combination of we did our best to try to get that that buy in with the sales team, and then a little bit of you know asking for forgiveness instead of permission because we <laughs> knew it was so valuable. We put it in there, and they're like, "What was so good here? Hey, that thing you weren't so sure about. Okay, you guys keep doing what you're doing." So. I mean, it's not the best route to take on everything, but on things that are so important and to me will determine the results of a training or not, let's just put it in there and we'll deal with whatever later because I know it's going to be successful.
2: I love that. It is easier sometimes. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) They're a tough crowd, but they can be won over. Well,
0: I almost feel like it's a brass tacks kind of thing. That you just have to draw a line in the sand with, right? So we know that there are certain things that we should be putting into our learnings, right? Objectives. Oh, my goodness. Um, it, I always try to put in or encourage people to put in like house rules. Like I think that's a really great place to establish a vulnerable, safe place. Like We're going to be respectful of each other. Or we're going to talk about it right up front. Right, right up there with being on time from break. So you know, <laughs> number two, you're going to be respectful for one another and, and have um, your audience self police that. You just put those things in, and yeah, you're right. You're going to get that pushback, like, "Oh, we don't need that." And then that's our opportunity as thought leaders to say, "No, we absolutely, positively need to have it, and here's why." Right. So awesome. So uh, listen, as we start to wind down on some stuff. Are there things that you think are really important that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with our audience right now, Tony?
1: yeah, I think i would I would challenge everybody whether you're a designer or a uh, facilitator or even if you're in a leadership position in the in the training space. I think a lot of times we are told we have to copy paste, just read what's on the slide, just do the training this way. And I would challenge, just experiment, even if you're too scared to ask your leader or get permission to do it, just try it once and see what happens, you know, to put a little piece of that humanity or emotional intelligence into your content. Um, I will guarantee you that you'll be surprised at how well it goes and what type of experiences you create for the audience.
2: I love that. Take a risk at making it better. Yeah. I love it.
1: Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Awesome.
0: Hey, Tony, how can um, our audience get in touch with you? Where can they
1: find more good stuff from Tony Skinner? Sure. Uh, right now, website's kind of in flux. So uh, I can't offer that, but that will come eventually. For right now, I would say just to Instagram, um, if... If you're interested in doing any type of life coaching work or anything with me, uh, booking link is all right in there. Um, and I try to post uh, some type of something once a week, um, like a video on Sundays, and then usually like a text post just talking about a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, that inner journey and how to be a better human. Um, and you can find me at Tony Skinner Official at Instagram. Fantastic, great. Well, you certainly appreciate all the groovy
0: talk about emotional intelligence, the importance of being vulnerable and connecting with one another. It's super important um, and even more important today than it ever has been before. So thank you so much for showing up. I really appreciate it. Daniel. Yes, Scott. Uh, Do me a favor. Could you go ahead and let our audience know how they can connect with us?
3: Absolutely. All right, party people, if you haven't already, you can hit us up at email at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us questions, join in the discussion, all kinds of good stuff. Write us, we'll write back, we promise. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. Like us and also participate there. Lastly, for you Instagram folks, Tony, that's you as well, you can find us Fab Learning Nerds. Hey, folks, that's going to wrap up our show tonight. Uh, once again, thank you, Tony Skinner, for all
0: your great thoughts. Do me a favor, everybody. Could you hit that subscribe button? Share this show out with your friends. It's the best way to go ahead and get the news out on all this groovy stuff. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, please leave us a review. We'd be happy to uh, read that review, good or bad or different. It helps make us better. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm Tony. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out.
1: The Electronic Specifier Insights podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions of the electronic industry's biggest players. Electronics and technology are becoming increasingly integral across all aspects of daily life and within society as a whole. Check out the Electronic Specifier Insights podcast at www.electronicspecifier.com.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If If you're thinking of giving it a try, if you think of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.